Welcome to BBC's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website at ballamvineyard.org or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. For those of you who don't know Josiah and Heather, they are, they are really, really awesome. They are so much fun, but they really, really, really love Jesus as well. And so you're in for a treat this evening. Um, we're carrying on our series of living free, and they just bring so much freedom. They're, they're going to introduce what they're going to talk about, so I won't steal their thunder. But why don't we pray? So Jesus, we thank you for these guys. Thank you for the message that they bring. And we open our hearts and our minds to what you want to say to us tonight. Inspire us, Holy Spirit. Speak to uh, the very core of our beings. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Viv. All right, good evening, everyone. As Viv said, I'm Heather. This is my husband, Josiah. Hi. We, we are American. <laughs> We're originally from California, which is the best state, I'll have to say. Uh, we moved to London about a year ago and uh, joined this V61 community and family, and we absolutely love it here. Um, today is the first time we've actually preached together, and we happen to be preaching on sex. <laughs> it takes two. <laughs> so we're in the middle of this series entitled Living Free, and a couple weeks ago, Viv and Steve brought this message on the biblical view of sex. If you haven't heard it yet, go download it. It's well worth a listen. I'm going to recap a little bit of what they spoke on uh, before we dig a little bit deeper into this into topic we're going to be doing today. So as I said, they had these three views of, of sex, uh, materialism being the first one, and that is sort of this cultural view that there's nothing more to life than the physical. So this view mirrors actually a Greek view that was around during the time um, the New Testament was written that kind of says that you could only be concerned with yourself and with what you can consume. Um, and this consumption can be even at the expense of other people. So this kind of has this cultural idea that you can have as much sex as you want with whoever you want, regardless of, of their feelings or of your own. And then in contrast to that, you have the narrative of religion. And religion attaches shame to the idea of sex. It attaches fear and says, sex is bad, we shouldn't talk about it. Unless you're married, then you have great sex all the time without ever talking about it. Totally how that works, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. This religious view can also attach um, a lot of pride to the identity of purity and virginity. Um, and in that, you kind of see this badge of honor that people might wear surrounding the idea of, of saving themselves. Um, and in direct contrast to both of those narratives is the biblical faith view of sex. So sex in the Bible is really good. Sex is God's, and he created it as a gift for us. So in this view, sex is extremely sacred. It's too holy just to be thrown around to have with anyone or everyone. So in this, we understand that God created sex as his, as his gift to us. So it's in this view, this biblical view of sex, that we want to unpack what we're going to talk about today. So why is it important for the church to talk about sex? 
Well, this absolutely isn't something that we should be hiding or ashamed to talk about. As the church, it's kind of our responsibility to really shout this message because if we don't shape uh, the view of sex for this generation, for the next generation, then the culture around us is going to. I was really fortunate when I was 18 or 19 to be in a church and a community that was willing to talk about sex and sexuality in a healthy way and willing to kind of give that view um, and really shape that in me. But I so badly wish that when I was a 13-year-old angsty boy that I had someone teaching me more about sexuality than just, this is bad, this is wrong, and then wait till you get married, and anything you think that's wrong, it's all, it's all bad, you're bad. That's, that's how I perceived it as a 13-year-old boy. And I so wish that someone at that point in time had been able to speak life into me and truth. It probably would have saved me a lot of pain and shame over the years. And this is absolutely not a lecture. <laughs> We're not here to tell you what's right and wrong. And we also want to acknowledge that this could be a really sensitive topic for some of you. Uh, many people have experienced a lot of pain and hurt in the area of sex and sexuality, and we want to be sensitive to that. We definitely don't claim to have this all figured out. <laughs> That's not true. We don't have all the answers. Um, but with that in mind, our goal today is just to invite you into a conversation about sex that ultimately points you to Jesus. Any conversation, message, talk, or anything about sex or sexuality that doesn't point you to Jesus is looking in the wrong place. I want to say that again. Any talk that about sex, message, whatever it is about sex that doesn't point you to Jesus is looking in the wrong place because Jesus created sex. Sex is God's. And Jesus, the one who invented sex, the creator, the one that Colossians says, in whom, through whom, and for whom all things were created, probably has something to say about sex. It wasn't just stumbled upon in some creepy park corner. Adam and Eve didn't just like, whoa, that was awesome. It was designed and created as God's good gift to us. He could have made be fruitful and multiplying a biological response that wasn't any fun at all, but he didn't. <laughs> it's not what he wanted to do. He chose to make it an incredible gift for his children to enjoy. Ultimately, having a healthy biblical view of sex should lead us into greater freedom and intimacy with Jesus. God isn't some cosmic killjoy looking to ruin our fun. His heart is for us to experience health, wholeness, and freedom through our community and through relationships. We've got a short little video, so Liv, if you want to um, put the video up, because we're going to be talking in Song of Songs, so this will give you a little intro to the book. So she should be able to pull that up here. My lover is like a sachet of myrrh lying between my bruise. The sun has darkened my skin. My brothers, <laughs> my brothers were angry with me. They forced me to care for their vineyards. If you don't know, O oh most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock. I couldn't care for myself, my own vineyard. You were exciting, my darling. I should probably start this one more. Who is sweeping in from the desert, leaning on her lover? It's just a question, there's actually no answer. As a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. Oh, I wish you were my, my brother who nursed at my mother's breast. There you would teach me, I would give you spice. I'm sorry, this is, this is right. 
don't stare at me because I'm dark. Let me read a different one. Sorry. Tell me, my love, where are you leading your flock today? I will hurry to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Right? Thanks, Liv. Amazing. That's the word of the Lord, you guys. And it's absolutely true and given to us in love, as, as Steve would say. Hopefully that inspired you guys to pull out your Bible and read Song of Songs. Okay, so why Song of Songs? Why are we diving into this, this book, maybe that some of you have never even heard of? Um, so for me, in my, in my teenage years, my time at university, I was desperate for someone to show me, to tell me um, how to live in purity, how to understand sex and sexuality in the context of loving Jesus. I grabbed all the books I could find on purity. I think I probably read over a dozen. I tried to count them up this week as we were preparing, and I honestly couldn't remember all their names. Really what they led me to was um, that religious narrative of sex, and I felt a lot of shame surrounding sex, and I kind of just wished that I could be celibate because I didn't know how I was going to figure that out. It seemed like a, like a lot of work, um, and it wasn't until... Um, I was at this church in California, Josiah, that we started hearing this teaching on Song of Songs. And we were able to kind of get God's heartbeat for sex and sexuality and, and what the Bible says about sex and that it's good. So Song of Songs, what is it? It's right in the middle of the Bible. It's a poem. Um, some see it as this allegorical telling of the story between God and his people. But if you actually break down the Hebrew, it's a love story between a couple. And it looks over their journey together, this sort of initial attraction, this dating period, if that's what we call it today, into their engagement, their wedding, their wedding night. There's a sex scene right in the middle of the book. It's there. It's descriptive, you guys. On to their marriage. They have a fight. They have makeup sex. And they learn how to grow deeper in love with each other. And the text in this book, when you translate the Hebrew, when it talks about love, it means erotic love. So it's talking about this, this sensuality. And during this day, Hebrew boys weren't even allowed to read this book until they were 13 because of its content. So it was censored material for all those teenagers. <laughs> so from this book, we know that sex is God's and sex is good. And this is a gift from our creator. So Josiah is going to read a bit of the first two chapters of Song of Songs so we have a better idea of what we're diving into today. This is Solomon's Song of Songs, more wonderful than any other. Kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. How fragrant your cologne, your name is like its spreading fragrance. No wonder all the young women love you. I am dark but beautiful, O women of Jerusalem. Dark as the tents of Kedar, dark as the curtains of Solomon's tents. Don't stare at me because I am dark. The sun has darkened my skin. My brothers were angry with me. They forced me to care for their vineyards so I couldn't care for myself, my own vineyard. Tell me, my love, where are you leading your flock today? Where will you rest your sheep at noon? For why should I wander like a prostitute among your friends and their flocks? If you don't know, O most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock and graze your young goats by the shepherd's tents. You are as exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. I am the spring crocus blooming on the Sharon Plain, the lily of the valley. Like a lily among thistles is my darling among young women. 
Like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among other young men. I sit in his delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit. He escorts me to the banquet hall. His banner over me is love. Strengthen me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples, for I am weak with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and the wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. Amazing. So in unpacking what healthy sexuality and sex looks like in a biblical context, we're going to give you sort of three insights into these first couple chapters. And our first insight in this is know your name. And knowing your name is knowing your identity, who Jesus has called you to be and who he says you are. So in order to better understand this, I want to look at the woman, the woman in this story. And as you could see from the text up there, it kind of went back and forth between, between this, this man and this woman. And let's take a look at this woman because she is undeniably strong. She actually happens to speak the most in this book, and she speaks first and she speaks last. It's my kind of woman. <laughs> the dialogue in this book couples a man who, is, who knows himself with a woman who is strong. There isn't anything aggressive in the way this man talks to his love, and there isn't any sort of victimization or a reluctancy in her desires. These two are passionately for each other. Their desires are one because their desires are God-given. So in chapter one, this young woman not only shows her strength, but she also shows her insecurity. She speaks and she says, I am dark but beautiful, O woman of Jerusalem, dark as the tents of Kedar, dark as the curtains of Solomon's tents. Don't stare at me because I am dark. The sun has darkened my skin. So during this day, sort of the society's standard of beauty was someone that was had a lighter complexion, was more fair. It meant that they were able to take the time to spend inside and care for their appearance. But here she's saying that she recognizes that her skin is dark, that she doesn't measure up to what society says is beautiful. She doesn't feel as beautiful as the other woman around her. And in this moment, she's recognizing this, this not enough feeling, this insecurity, that I'm not thin, fit, curvy, tall enough feeling. And while she recognizes that insecurity in herself, she doesn't let it define her or rule her. She knows who she is. She knows she is enough, and she knows her name before the Lord. She is strong and will not be swayed by what culture says is beautiful. She says, I am dark, but beautiful. So recognizing and not letting this insecurity rule her becomes so important for the way that she interacts with this man. So when she asks, where are you leading your flocks at midday? What she's saying is, I'm not gonna sneak around with you. I'm not gonna hide my face. I'm not gonna come out like a prostitute in the night. She's not gonna hide who she is, despite her insecurity. She wants to see and be seen with her love in the light of day. And even in the midst of her insecurity, she's constantly affirmed by this man, by her love. She says over and over again, you are so lovely. Knowing your name means you're free to experience security and confidence in your relationships, whether that's friendship or romantic relationships. It means understanding what Jesus has to say about you. 
1 Peter says you are God's chosen treasure, and in Colossians, it says that you are always and dearly loved by God. This woman knows her name, despite her insecurities, and despite what society says she should be. So let's take a look at the man and how he's described by this woman in the book. How pleasing is your fragrance. Your name is like, it, is like it's spreading fragrance of oils. So in this time, your name in this context spoke to your identity and your character. Your name just wasn't what you were called, but it's who you were. Before people, before the Lord, it was something that was etched deep in you. The Hebrew word for name actually means to be etched. So when this woman says that your name is like oil, fragrant oil is poured out, she's saying that his name, his character is holy. Anybody ever stood next to someone on the northern line early in the morning and they've worn a little too much cologne or essential oils? It could be a bit overpowering. It's really fragrant. It's really obvious really quickly. And this man has the fragrance and the character of God etched deep into his identity. He is a life with the Lord and a character that is apparent to everyone around him. The men in this day, they would wear oils on their skin. And you can see that glistening in the sun from far off. So you don't need to be close. You can see it from far away and up close. It was really obvious. She's attracted to him, not just physically, but to his character. This man has built a life with God and has a character to be in relationship that will last. Men, whether you're dating, whether you're single, whether you're married, know your name before the Lord. In the Old Testament, Jacob spent an entire night wrestling with the Lord. And when he was finished, the Lord blessed him by giving him a new name, a new identity. It's never too late to get with God and to have him fill you with the identity and the character to be you. Because marriage isn't the goal. It's not what you're reaching for when you look to find your identity. But when you know who you are, you have something that you can confidently give. So this man who knows who he is also constantly affirms this woman throughout the book. And in this day and age, women were treated more like property. They were something to be traded or acquired or, or traded in exchange for something else. But this man is passionately in love with this woman and affirms her as more than a piece of property or something to be traded. After she talks about the color of her skin, the first thing he comes back with is he says, you are as exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. And when she says she's just a lily of the valley, the common flower in this time, he says, like a lily among thistles, among thorns is my darling among young women. He's constantly there to affirm her and to love her. The woman in this story goes on to describe this man as a tree, and she delights in his shade. This man is safe. She knows who he is. She trusts him, and he's safe for her. She says, his banner over me is love. And this language in that time would have been really clear to the people. In, in war, when the army was being overwhelmed, they would raise up a banner in a safe place for people to see so they could fight back to and fight back to a place of safety. So when she says, his banner over me is love, again, she's saying that he is safe and his love is safe. She's not worried about him where he is, what he's doing late at night. He's a place of safety and a place of trust. For the single and the dating people out there, I would say date someone long enough to know their name 
and not just the name that they tell you, but the name that they show you. Know their character and who they are. Too many people jump into engagement or they jump into marriage or they just jump straight to sex without even knowing the other person or really knowing their character. They end up brokenhearted or wounded because they thought they knew the other person, but they didn't grow with them long enough to know their character. And for the married people out there, if you don't know who you are before the Lord, get a name with God. It's never too late to get with God and to get that identity. Get your identity from the Father. Let him fill you with the identity and the character that it takes to grow in a relationship for a lifetime. So our second insight from this story is to love your sex drive. We need to redeem our God-given desire for sex. (laughs) Just real excited about it. Which is good because curiosity and an interest in sex is never something to be ashamed of. We were sexual before we were sinful. Recognizing and understanding your sex drive is important for singles as it is for married people. For many, sex or sexuality is what happens between the two people just in a physical sense. But when we disconnect the spiritual from the sexual, we end up with a culture that's highly disconnected from each other and from creation. So this is where we take it back to Genesis chapter one. In the very beginning of the Bible, it says God created us naked and without shame. So by understanding that sex is inherently spiritual, we can learn to love our sex drives. The key is learning in learning how to control and utilize your sex drive is identifying the deeper need that your sex drive is trying to communicate to you. So in this, in this journey of self-awareness, of learning to love your sex drive, and knowing who God is, has created you to be, is your body trying to tell you that you have a desire for intimacy, for vulnerability, for connection? Are you hungry for things that maybe aren't actually about sex at all? A healthy soul looks like a renewed mind with emotional wholeness and a will yielded to the will of Jesus. And this, and this healthy mind and healthy soul, it, it spills over into self-control and over into our physical bodies. And often those sexual problems aren't rooted in sex at all. They're in need for intimacy, for connection, for comfort, for vulnerability. We act out looking to sex for something that has nothing to do with sex. So learning to love and understand our sex drives can help us better get what we need and identify our true desires. The woman in this story in Song of Songs understands this intersection between the sexual and the spiritual. She recognizes her love's character, as we've seen, and affirms her attraction and longing for this man deeply. This woman says, because of how you treat me, I esteem myself. I love you because of your protection, your provision, your promotion of me, I want you. I want to be one with you. She has acknowledged her God-given desire for sex, and she recognizes the importance of it cultivating a character for her future. She then goes on to talk about their story and, and says they meet in banquet halls and out in open spaces, 
So while I see this woman is, is very sexual and sensual, she's also very self-controlled. She talks about this period before they're married of, of them meeting out in the open. So for those looking towards marriage, God gives you a sex drive before you're married because it's something you can, tr- you can cultivate during your marriage. It's something that you foster into that relationship, which is why it starts beforehand. And for all of us, married or not, our sex drives teach us something about our hearts and our need and our desire for intimacy, vulnerability, and connection. And just as the woman is sensual but self-controlled, we see that the man is too. As I said, he's a safe place for her, but she's not afraid that he's going to take advantage of her or pressure her into compromising her values or who she is. He encourages her and affirms her sexuality and her strength of character and shows his own in the process as he does that. The last point that we want to get to is uh, called awakening love. And this couple is deeply attracted to each other spiritually and physically. And the language here that's used is really obvious. So here it says, raisin, or excuse me, strengthen me with raisin cakes, for I am weak with love. So raisin cakes were the food in that day that were thought to heighten fertility and the sexual experience thought to be an aphrodisiac. So who knew? Apparently, raisin cakes are fantastic. So um, that's why in Hosea, God speaks to Israel and he said, you've turned to other gods and their raisin cakes. You know, I don't know, but it's just what it says. Um, This is really intimate language that she's using to speak to her love. Really intimate language. And here in the story, the woman also speaks to her friends and the community around her. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and the wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. I mean, that's pretty much the only way you should make promises, by the gazelles and the wild deer. (laughs) Do not awaken love until the time is right. This relationship is continuing to progress. They understand that they're growing in their love for each other, and this woman understands where they're at, and speaks to um, her friends and herself, really, reminding them not to arouse this love completely and fully until the time is right, because timing matters to God. We need to get with the rhythm and timing of trust and covenant, the speed of intimacy and God in our relationships. And covenant was was something that God placed and it was something that he promised with Israel, his nation. He promises to Abraham a covenant wasn't just a flippant relationship and it wasn't just a promise that you make that you're okay with breaking. This was a lifetime promise that he made to his people. This is something that he never broke. We need to get with the rhythm and timing of trust and covenant. God is not anti-sex or against it. If he was, he would not have given us a choice about the timing of it. But the one who created sex knows how to fulfill it. God doesn't call us to wait or to restraint, to frustrate us, but he calls us to that to fulfill us. It's never too late to change and to get in sync with the timing of God, the timing of trust and covenant. I've heard people say in the past, well, I've already messed up, or we've gone too far, or you know, whatever the excuse is. So it doesn't matter, but it does matter. This isn't meant to restrict us, but to free us into a relationship built on trust. 
He is such a good father who wants to fulfill us in every aspect of our lives and our relationships. But there's a timing to this. Do not awaken love until the time is right. God created us and designed us with a sex drive, but we need to build the character to carry that desire, to carry that intimacy and trust. God doesn't just turn your sex drive on the night and the day that you get married, but in the process and in the struggle, God is growing your character. Your purity is a struggle, and, and, and it, it should cost you something because then it's a gift that you can actually give. David says, far be it from me to offer the Lord something that cost me nothing. This could cost you something. But God grows your character in the struggle. It's meant to cultivate something beautiful in your life so that you can build love and trust in a deeper way. And that doesn't just stop when you get married. Purity doesn't stop once you're married. The character that you build in your single and dating season will will move into your married season. The seeds that you sow in your dating and single and married season will eventually bring fruit. They'll eventually come to the surface. What kind of seeds are we sowing? What's the harvest that we're preparing for? Our view of sex needs to be much more than just a binary view of, I can't have sex, I can't have sex, I can't have sex. Yes! I can have as much sex as I want, and it's going to be amazing. When we look at sex this way, we actually rob the sex of the beauty that God intended and created for it. He designed it to exist in covenant and love and trust, which is exactly what marriage is. Your level of intimacy should always match your level of commitment and covenant. God is calling us to his timing, which is always good, and it is full of love. This is the freedom and the wholeness that God invites us into. He calls us into this. But that doesn't mean that just because you've made mistakes in, the, in your single or in your dating or even in your married season, that, that you lose or miss out on the freedom that God has for you. Your past will never disqualify you from living in the freedom that God has for you and has created for you. Your past will never disqualify you from living in the freedom that God has created for you. There's freedom and redemption available for you at the feet of Jesus. And we want to move into a time of response right now. And I know that this topic is really broad and and can be really painful, but there's a lot in here that God is calling us to. And so for those, there might be some of you here who don't know your name. You might say, I have, I have no idea who I am before God. I have no idea what that looks like, whether you're single, whether you're dating, married, whatever it is. You might say, I, I don't know what that looks like, but, but I want to get a name with God. That's not something that's just going to happen in an instant and happen overnight. That's something that you grow and you cultivate. But maybe tonight there's, there's an invitation for you to step into that, to ignite that that relationship, and knowing your name with God. And we also just want to pray for a redemption of your sex drive. Because that's a difficult one to talk about. Whether it's something that you've completely suppressed in your life and tried to cut off and cut out of your life, 
or if it's on the other side where you just feel like you have no idea how to control it, what to do with it, what it means, we want to be here with you in that. And the other thing I really felt on my heart as we were sharing is just that if you've had trust broken or if maybe mm. if you've broken trust with someone, we want to redeem that as well. We want to pray for that. We want to cover you in prayer, ask for healing and restoration and forgiveness. So we just invite you to respond in that. Yeah, if you guys want to stand, we're, we're going to be worshiping as well. Um, I, I know that this topic can be scary and it's really vulnerable, really vulnerable. And I know for myself in the past, I've really struggled with the shame that has been attached to this topic. Like I talked about earlier, I was, you know, when I was young, I heard that, oh, any thoughts you have about this are bad and you have to wait till you're married. So there's so much of that attachment that I still, still have to say no to and to reject those lies. And, and we want to make this a safe space for people to respond for you to get prayer. No one here is going to be looking at you and, and worried about, oh, what are you, what are you coming to the front for? Blah, blah. There's, there's so much. You could be coming up prayer for healing but we want to create a space that's safe for you to respond to God and what he's doing in your heart. And we really, like Heather said, we really want to break off shame. We want to, to come against that in the name of Jesus. Shame is not allowed to dictate your sexuality. It's not allowed to have a voice in your life. Like I said earlier, any conversation about sex that doesn't point you to the feet of Jesus doesn't belong there because Jesus created it. He loves it. It's his good gift to us. And so I just want to pray for us and, and break off that shame. And Jesus, would you just come and move tonight? Would you break off shame? Shame, leave now in the name of Jesus. You are not allowed to speak lies over us. You're not allowed to dictate our sexuality or how we feel about ourselves. Jesus, we say yes to you and what you say about us. We're your children. You made us this way. This is exactly how you designed us. And so we yet say yes to your design and we reject any lies that would tell us otherwise. Jesus, would you just come and move tonight? Come heal, come restore us, come restore our hearts. Come restore us where trust has been broken. Come bring healing where pain has been inflicted. Come bring healing to the places in our hearts that have caused us to act out where we've broken trust. God, would you teach us what our hearts are saying to us tonight? We just lay that at your feet. So if you want prayer for anything, there's, there's, there's no need to come forward. You can absolutely stay in your seat. You can just process that with God, but there's something about stepping out and stepping and saying, this is not who I am. This is who I want to be. No one here is going to judge you. There's nothing you could ever say or ever do that would make God love you any less. And this community is here and we're for you. We want to be here with you. There's no shame, no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we say yes to that as a community. We say yes to that as a church. There's absolutely no shame. So please, regardless of what it's for, if you want prayer, please come to the front. There will be plenty of people here to pray for you.
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our BBC speakers.